Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Dave Shooter. Well, it's quite a sermon title, isn't it? It's quite a long one. I I couldn't come up with anything shorter this week. But uh, what I mean to communicate by the title is that Advent is a great season. Uh, It is a right season to reaffirm happiness or joy in Christ, uh, especially when waiting for God's King, uh, when anticipating God's King, when serving God's King comes at a cost. And you will know from your own experiences and from uh, what you've shared with me over the years that Advent and Christmas time can be hard times to follow Jesus. Uh, We understand that we'll get distracted by the consumerism. Uh, We know that we are going to have to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves about our identity when we feel under scrutiny for the gifts that we're giving or the parties that we're throwing, uh, how others assess us. Some are the only believers in our families, and uh, it will be uh, perhaps true for you that going home for the holidays will feel less like family than coming to church on Sunday. That's a reality. And, uh, and so Advent can feel like a lonely time for you when Jesus, the most important in your world, uh, is not the most important person in the worlds of people around you. Possibly, hardest to name out loud, is the feeling that King Jesus, lullabied by angel choirs, attended by shepherds, sought by magi, feared by Herod, heralded from before birth by John the Baptist, uh, all of the majesty of Christmas time that Greg alluded to in his pastoral prayer this morning, uh, that all of this uh, wonder of the season makes it hard to name out loud the feeling that King Jesus has not met your expectations. And uh, we would scarcely say it because what we often do is we take uh, the hurt or disappointment or anger that we feel with God and we theologize it. We say things like, well, I should just count my blessings. Or we meme it. God won't give me more than I can handle. Or we heresy it. God helps those who help themselves. Or we otherwise suppress it. And Advent invites us to face our disappointments with Jesus because John the Baptist, one of the heroes of the Advent story, did exactly that. John, who is the son that heaven promised to Zechariah the priest, uh, who we met a few weeks ago, whose faith wobbled, uh, whose mom, Elizabeth, who we uh, considered last week, conceived him out of infertility, John, whose heaven-sent mission uh, is to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This John, the same John the Baptist, came to a moment in his life where his confusion and his impatience 
and his disappointment in Jesus bubbled over and he said out loud why what we sometimes try not to feel. Are you the one? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John's journey from Matthew 3 preaching the gospel in the uh, preaching in the wilderness of Judea repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand how he got from uh, seeing Jerusalem and all of Judea and all of the region going out to him to be baptized by him in the Jordan how he got uh, to baptizing Jesus himself how he got from those pinnacle moments to the place of asking Jesus are you the one is a lesson in finding joy through costly waiting when God's king seems to disappoint us. Here's how. John's disappointment with Jesus is a matrix of disappointing circumstances, disappointed expectations, and a disappointed heart, disappointed soul, all of which need to be further explored. And Jesus' answer to John's question ends with a verbal exclamation point in verse 6. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, Jesus' expression there, blessed, sounds a lot like what we read in the Sermon on the Mount a few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, for example. But this expression, blessed is the one, is singular, not plural. It is like an arrow directed back to John in prison. Back to disappointed, confused, worn out John. John, in your disappointment, there is a way to be blessed. Blessed is a, it's a strange Bible word. I, I sometimes wonder if we know what we mean when we use it. Sometimes I wonder if I know what we mean when we use it. We've turned it into uh, a casual throwaway uh, expression, be blessed. Or uh, if you want to put someone down, apparently you say, bless your heart. Took me a while <laughs> to learn that that wasn't a blessing. <laughs> what does it mean? Well, uh, my, my favorite short definition is from the uh, church uh, theologian Jonathan Edwards, who described the word blessed as happified, to be made happy. But it means a little bit more than what we mean when we say happy. Uh, so uh, one commentator, I think, defines it pretty well this way. He said, blessed introduces someone who is to be congratulated, whose place in life is enviable, fortunate, or well-off, are less ambiguous. It's not a psychological description, but a recommendation End quote. In other words, commended, John the Baptist, commended is the one, fortunate is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus' focused answer to John holds a lesson for all of us. How should John and how should we battle through disappointment with Jesus? How might we guard against being offended by him? And in order to answer this question, learning how uh, is going to require meeting a disappointed prophet. And then secondly, laying down our agenda before God's king. First, the disappointed prophet. John is in disappointing circumstances as he sends his guys to meet Jesus. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John's question for Jesus 
uh, emerges from prison. John is in Herod's prison. And uh, I thought it through this week, and, and as I studied it through, um, one of the things that I learned maybe for the first time is that John has actually been in prison for a long time. Uh, I've, I've read one, maybe two years he has been in prison. The, the account that we have of his execution, uh, you know, it makes it seem like it's just like that. But he's been in prison for one to two years, and he's not being held in prison in Jerusalem, in the main city. He's being held in the prison that is in modern-day Jordan. Uh, it's down by the Dead Sea. So he, he's in Herod's kind of fortress prison down there, not Masada, but a different prison. And, and so Herod has him cooling his heels uh, because he is what we would call a political prisoner. Uh, he is... Uh, in prison, Matthew tells us in chapter 14, for Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Now, John was not a rabble rouser. His job description is found in the Old Testament in Isaiah 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That's the John the Baptist that we usually meet in Advent. His mission is to prepare God's people, all of the people, uh, including the elite, including those who dwell in palaces, to prepare all of the people for the arrival of the Lord. And so this means preaching truth to power. And, and that is what John has done. And we have an example of that in Matthew 3, where he preaches to the socially influential Pharisees and to the politically connected Sadducees. And he says this, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as your father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is the, the kind of preaching that will disinvite you from community picnics. Neither being Jewish, nor being disciplined like the Pharisees, nor connected like the Sadducees mattered. What mattered was a life of repentance, of turning from sin back to God, of being ready for the king's return. And so we meet John the Baptist. His life is disciplined. His message was, for a moment, popular. People flocked to hear him. Jesus came to be baptized by him. John had been faithful, fearless, and influential. And for a moment, it all seemed to be going according to plan if you're John the Baptist. And now he's in prison for months. It's a disappointing circumstance. But as much as the circumstance is disappointing, his expectations are disappointed too. Because he hears about Jesus' ministry while he's in prison. In Matthew 11, uh, verse 2, we read, He heard about the deeds of the Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? And this word deeds, the commentators tell us it's a broad word. It notes uh, Jesus' miracles. Uh, it notes his teaching. Just generally what he's up to, his deeds. 
And some of those deeds of Jesus had raised questions for John's disciples. So if you have your Bible, you can flip back just two chapters to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, John's disciples had come to Jesus to ask him a question, which presumably they had been debating amongst themselves. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Fasting, uh, you know, abstaining from food for religious purposes uh, is a posture of contrition, a posture of humility, a posture of mourning. Outward signs and Jesus' answer is provocative. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Hosea uh, had envisioned God coming to Israel as a bridegroom. For, just for one example, in Hosea 2, uh, God says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth to me, uh, you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. And Jesus means for John to remember his Bible. Uh, he, he means for John to remember all of those times in the Old Testament uh, when God would say, I, I'm going to come to Israel like a bridegroom. And Jesus says, in essence, the, the bridegroom moment is here. The moment when God is among his people is now. That this is a cause for celebration, not for mourning. That this is a time for joy, and this is not a time for sorrow. But John and his friends, they're not so sure. Don Carson, who's one of the uh, lead New Testament scholars of our era, explains that John the Baptist's question, are you the Christ, expresses more doubt than might be obvious. And I didn't know this either, but... uh, in Matthew's gospel, the expression the Christ is only used at the beginning of the book, and then there's a, a big gap of its usage, and then it pops back up again in these verses. Matthew starts off saying, Jesus is the Christ. And then Jesus shows us in all kinds of different ways from chapters 1 through 10 how he is the Christ. And, uh, and you know, miracles, teachings, healings, uh, the, the physical healed, the, the, the demonic cured, demonic possessed cured. And all of these works ought to have been sufficient to John the Baptist for him to know that Jesus is the Christ. And yet sitting in prison, he has disappointed expectations. And I, I think we can understand at least a few of those disappointed expectations. John's preaching expected a time of immediate blessing and immediate judgment. He expected things to happen like that. John shows up, he preaches, the king is coming, the king comes, there's blessing, there's judgment. Game on, game over. Jesus, as others note, is bringing a lot of blessing. People are getting healed. There's miraculous meals. All kinds of good things are happening. Where's the judgment? Moreover, Jesus is hanging out with the very kind of people that John was preaching repentance to. What's up, Jesus? You're having having dinner with the wrong crowd. The the kind of people that I was getting to, to come out to the Jordan to be baptized, to turn away from the stuff that they're doing. Disappointed circumstances, disappointed expectations, and all of this fueled a disappointed soul. 
Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Look, it's such a loaded word in John the Baptist's story. Because in his ministry, he was all about bringing, looking to an end. Jesus showed up and he says, behold, look at him. It actually says in John's gospel that John the Baptist looked at Jesus as he walked by. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Look, that's the guy. I preached. I prepared. I saw. I identified. I looked. And now I'm in prison. And I don't understand what you're doing. And I hear these stories. And you're not meeting my expectations. From prison... John is disappointed with Jesus. But note, John hadn't given up on God's promise. He said, should we look for someone else? So so he hadn't given up on the big agenda. He just doubted that Jesus was the guy. I, I, I wonder if you can relate. Maybe not today, but maybe at some point in your life you've, you've followed Jesus, but circumstances are hard. Or or maybe life feels more about judgment than blessing. Jesus doesn't seem to be changing your circumstances, at least not fast. Maybe you're not looking forward to Christmas morning. He's not meeting your expectations. It seems common just anecdotally uh, that, that when we start with the Jesus initially, we have kind of this spiritual emotional high. And it's great. And, and it doesn't, always seem to last or often seem to last. And maybe we come back to those high point moments from time to time, but life in a broken world can wear us thin. I mean, I I love our worship songs, but there are Sundays when I come to worship and I don't feel as upbeat as the songs are. It's not a criticism of the songs. It's just the way that life is. Disappointed circumstances, disappointed expectations, disappointed soul. What do we do when we're in that spot? Can we learn anything from this weird story where one of the heroes of Advent gets all sideways? Well, I think Jesus shows us that happiness comes when we lay down our agenda for him. John's disappointed with Jesus. In verse 6, Jesus tells John, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Uh, Offended is the word from which we get scandalized. If you're more familiar with the New Testament, this is uh, scandal on the stone that causes people to stumble. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble over me. Jesus' answer to John and to us is to let Jesus shape our expectations instead of making Jesus answer to our expectations. Do you hear the difference? Because that's really the whole main point of the sermon. (laughs) We need to let Jesus shape our expectations and not let our expectations shape our response to Jesus. Sometimes we're going to have to lay down our agenda for Jesus and we're going to have to accept the Jesus who is, not the Jesus who we imagine, not the Jesus who we want to control. What we discover in the rest of Matthew 11 is this, that when we do that, Jesus is actually greater than our agenda for him. 
So Jesus, in uh, verse 4, answers John's question. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised. So Jesus is pointing to his miracles, telling, tell John these things. But what he's really doing in point of the miracles is he's also pointing John to his Bible. Because what he's doing is he's pulling together three passages in the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah, where God, hundreds of years before the Messiah came, spoke about what it would be like when the Messiah came. That, that his miracles confirm his identity, but he also draws us back to the word where the, the word says that the Savior who comes has an identity that's actually better than our expectations. One of the passages is Isaiah 35, 4, where God says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come in with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Here's how Jesus is greater than John's expectation. John surely expects that God's Messiah is going to be a king. He surely expects that the Messiah is going to show up and do king-type things. You know, establish a rule, establish a reign. Well, what he doesn't seem to expect is that the Messiah is going to be God's king and also God. Because these passages in in Isaiah show that that it's actually God who shows up. That, That God is going to show up in this moment. So John surely expects the Messiah to be a king. Jesus is better than his expectation in terms of identity. He's actually God. So identity and then timing. In Isaiah 61, God's servant says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, tell John that that I'm the Isaiah 61 guy and now is the time for blessing. That, That the bridegroom is here. That now is the time for blessing. So he's confirmed his identity and he's given John something to think about with regard to timing. And then John's disciples leave. It's interesting that that as those disciples leave and and go back to prison uh, to give John the report, that Jesus takes up other potential disappointments that John might have had with him. He continues to teach. So the disciples come and they ask a question. Jesus, John wants to know, are you the Messiah? Should we look for someone else? Jesus answers their question. He's like, I, I'm better than you can imagine. I'm not just the king, but I'm God the king. And what time is it? Well, it, it's the time of blessing. It's the bridegroom time. And then they're like, oh, I mean, okay. I, mean, I don't know how they responded really. Um, <laughs> well, let's just say they say, okay. And they, they head back to give the report. And Jesus in Matthew 11, he keeps teaching about the same stuff. He, he kind of uses that encounter as an object lesson. It's as if we, he knows that we're going to have the same kinds of questions as John the Baptist. Jesus takes up the question about justice, about judgment. 
After all, if you're wrongly imprisoned as John was, justice is what you'd really hunger for. You'd want that king to sort things out super fast. Final justice, accounting for sin, occurs either at the cross or at the end of history. For believers, it happens at the cross as all of our sin is accounted for, as Jesus endures the just penalty for all of our disobedience, or it happens at the end of history when the king returns to judge. And so Jesus uh, understands that this delay, potentially frustrating to John, is actually good news because Jesus' time agenda has left open the opportunity for real sinners right now to repent. That, that, that today and today and today and every day until he returns to judge, every day is a day that we can come back to the king. Every day is a day when we can come back and understand that Christ has actually taken my judgment, that his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, his sending of the Holy Spirit brings us in to this new covenant reality which all the prophets looked forward to and of which John was the last prophet. Verse 11 of chapter 11 is intriguing. Now the disciples of John the Baptist are gone, but Jesus says to the crowd, Truly I say to you, among those born of woman there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he Jesus does not mean that John is not going to be in heaven. Jesus means that on this side of his ministry, we can understand with more clarity, and with more clarity comes more certainty, how it is that we're brought into a relationship with God, how it is that this blessing of salvation comes, what John could only glimpse at and what he needed to reach back into his Old Testament to understand with more clarity. We understand because we have the life of Jesus before us. We understand what he did. And so therefore, we have thirdly the Savior's invitation. Verses 16, 17, 18, 19. These are great verses. Jesus is thinking about himself and John the Baptist. But what shall I compare this generation, the people that he is talking to? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. In other words, we played you happy music and you didn't like it. We played you sad music and you didn't like it. I mean, if if you're a parent or if you're frequently around kids, you know how this works. I mean, if you grew up in my generation and you went on car trips where audio technology consisted of a tape player that usually didn't work and those funny little push buttons that used to help you find radio stations, you know that you'd be sitting in the back seat and some of you are like, yeah, now he's preaching. (laughs) I was a little bit lost about that Isaiah thing, but now I got him on the radio buttons because you'd be like, you'd be like hitting, hitting the thing and you got like 98.7 and then, you know, 99.1 and you're like, dad, hit the button and it'd be country and be like, I don't like country. And your dad's like, well, it's not going to be popular for another 20 years. (laughs) And so he hits the button and it's rock and roll. You're like, well, I'm not really feeling like rock and roll. He hits the button again and it's sports talk. You're like, well, the team's just losing again. We played happy songs. We played sad songs. You didn't like the songs. 
Is it the song's fault? It's not the song's fault. It's the kid's fault. He's pointing to the fickleness of the human heart. He goes further. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he is a demon. That guy has got a problem. Then the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus is preaching against apathy. Didn't like that song. Didn't like that song. And he's preaching against holding God's agenda to our expectations. John the Baptist lived in a austere lifestyle set apart to point to the Savior. Man, he's crazy. No, Jesus says wisdom is known by her deeds. When then the Son of Man comes, and we understand the Son of Man means the Lord of history comes, and he starts hanging out with sinners. And people say, well, he's hanging out with the wrong kind of people. He can't be the guy. Jesus says, get over your apathy and humble your expectations. That's a good word for us. We need to get over our apathy and we need to humble our expectations. But it is not for nothing that Jesus ends this chapter by explaining his manner of ministry. Because it is at the end of this same chapter with this discussion both with John the Baptist and about John the Baptist still in the air. He hasn't changed settings. It's in the same, it's in the same conversation. It's in the same moment uh, that Jesus says, come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I just wonder, there's no way that I can prove it, but I just wonder if these last words also made it back to John in prison. Because there in prison is a guy who labored and was heavy laden. And there is a guy who surely wondered when he sent the message to Jesus, are you the Christ, or should I look for another? There is a guy who surely must have wondered, did did what I do matter at all? (laughs) I I, I preached to power, and now I'm cooling my heels in prison. And and he doesn't, I I, I wonder if he knows he's going to be executed. But, but he certainly would have shared what the Apostle Paul shared actually more than one time in his epistles. Have I labored in vain? Has it all been for nothing? Have I been pointing to the wrong guy? Jesus says, hey, hey you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. And this is what I'm like, as Dane Ortland reminded us. This is what I'm like on the inside. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The disappointment John needs to get over is Jesus not living up to John's expectations. But the opportunity for John is that Jesus exceeds expectations. 
He is greater in every way. He's the king of kings. His timing is perfect. His invitation is clear. And his heart is gentle and lowly. Happy, blessed, fortunate is the one who's not offended because of him. So what lessons might this hold for us in times when we're disappointed by Jesus? Well, I, I, would, just, I would just suggest three. First, don't hold Jesus captive to your circumstances, right? I mean, John doesn't leave prison. Jesus doesn't send his disciple commando team to bust him out. He dies unjustly, unfairly, gruesomely. I mean, he's the party favor for what we'd call a bachelor party. What a, what a cheap way to die. Who's going to make that right? Someone who values your life so much that he gives his for yours. And expectations. It's interesting. Uh, other commentators have pointed out, just borrowing their wisdom, John's expectation is that, is that Jesus is he's kind of doing it wrong. But in Scripture, when you read the New Testament, when Jesus hangs out with sinners, what happens often is that sinners become more like Jesus. The thought world of Jesus' day was that holiness would be, become impure when the more righteous hung out with the less righteous, that you'd get contaminated. Jesus, why are you hanging out with those who are going to contaminate your holiness? But Jesus' holiness flows the other direction. Jesus decontaminates. He makes holy the unrighteous. So we need to let Jesus reshape our expectations. And then for a disappointed soul like John the Baptist, this is the invitation for rest. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I would, I would encourage us, I'd encourage you, and I would encourage me when we come to those moments where Jesus disappoints us, and may they be few, and perhaps you'll never experience that. But, but should you be in that space, one way to pray is, Jesus, how are you greater? How are you greater? Even if you don't change my circumstances, how are you greater? Show me how you're greater. Change my expectations. Bring rest to my soul. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. And for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.